This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Great to be with you tonight. I want to get straight into the Word. I'm so grateful for the seeds that you have sown into the ministry and for your monthly partnership with Global Ministries. We are busy about the Father's business, and He has blessed us and in His great grace, and we are certainly not slothful or lazy. We work hard, diligently, passionately, but at the same time, we acknowledge that without Him, we can do nothing. It is Him who has made a way, and He's given us, uh, though our beginnings were small, our latter end has greatly increased My goal is to raise up a million students, not really students, million world changers, men and women who know the Word, men and women who walk the Word, men and women who do the Word, and men and women who will be bold, not only in the Word, but in the Spirit, who will operate in the power of God. God has graced us. Um, In India this year alone, we'll plant a hundred Bible schools, Africa, well over a hundred. Every day, every single day of every year, we're opening a school somewhere, enrolling students somewhere, graduating students somewhere, degree students, diploma students, online students. And the reason for it is uh, the, the education program is Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, a disciple is a convinced student. And we we are not just trying to educate the mind, but to shape the heart, to conform men and women to the nature and the character of Jesus, that they would be positioned for before God to be a part of this generation of workers who will reach this generation of sinners. We know that the fields are always white, but the laborers are few. And so it is our task not just to reach the lost but to disciple or to equip the found and to get them mobilized into the work of God. Just an amazing thing as I watch what God has done through that program now in nine languages by the grace of God. Again, a huge task. It's no easy feat to put 15 books into languages to get them well um, edited and, and then you know, mobilized into those nations. But again, through His ability, He's given us this grace. So your giving does make a difference, and I want to extend to you on behalf of my team our our gratitude, knowing that you gave to God, but also that you gave specifically to this ministry. Um, People often think that, you know, um, when I came here 25 years ago and met through Pastor Rob and Shauna, Pastor Bob and Ellen, Uh, I came in what would be called a peak of renewal, peak of revival, and uh, it was through that move that I became known in in the United States of America. Um, What happened is the glory of God came in a meeting and had nothing to do with me. I I wasn't actually even in a great uh, position to promote revival because I, I just didn't want to be a part of what everyone was doing. I came as a missionary to raise up missionaries for the nations. 
And yet, somewhere in the economy of God, he chose to use me as a voice of revival. And uh, the glory cloud came into a meeting. It wasn't a blue cloud like we had in Memphis. Uh, One day we walked in and the ushers were, what's in here? There's this blue cloud floating around and we could visibly see the glory. Uh, This wasn't a blue cloud. This was a dark cloud that filled the front to the back of the school auditorium. Those in the back couldn't see the front. I was on the platform and the front couldn't see the back. We were totally engulfed in the cloud of glory. And my initial thought was dark devil, but then I remembered that on Mount Horeb there was a dark cloud that filled the the mountain and shook the mountain. And as a result of that, pastors from all over Illinois heard overnight and started coming in and the, the ministry just exploded. At that point, as God was giving us exponential growth in uh, signs, wonders, and miracles. People were being saved. People were being filled. He said, I want you to to train the saints. And it was at that time that I started to handwrite these teachings that today form the curriculum of the School of Ministry here and in thousands of schools all over the world. Right now, we are training over 15,000 pastors and leaders in India and Africa and other parts of the world. That's a load of leaders that we are shaping who have had no formal Bible education, no training, no foundations. This nation has been rich with Bible schools, bookstores, Christian television, Christian radio, and yet there is still need to teach and to train people, to equip them in the Word of God. And so I started, and this, in fact, this church, Church of the Harvest, became my first school of ministry in the United States of America. It was so bad that I was handwriting notes, getting them typed and shipped every week for Pastor Bob to teach so that I'd be like a week ahead. And uh, I wrote 20 books in one year, just a ridiculous amount of, and I was doing morning and night meetings, and if you were in those meetings, the morning meeting would go into the afternoon, and then we'd have lunch, and I'd go back and write. We'd start the meeting at 7, and we'd go to 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and then still have this after party, and, uh, and so I'd, I'd write until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, sleep for a few hours, get up and rush to the morning meeting, and wrote 20 books in that year. And um, I used to write in other tongues, because I'd, I'd like just fall asleep at my desk, and we scribble, 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 and I'd ask God, what was I writing back then? And I'd get it, but the wisdom of God was that He gave me favor that I have got Farmers in India, in Nepal, in Cambodia, just peasants in rice paddies who have studied the word in villages in Africa, Maasai uh, uh, villages in in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, uh, Congo, Togo, Benin, all these nations, uh, students, uh, subsistent farmers, business people in New York, in Chicago, in the cities, being taught and trained in the Word. And I wrote it with a kingdom worldview, which I didn't strategically try to do. It just happened. And so it meets people at every place. 
And uh, so the favor of God is on our lives uh, through these materials. And uh, so people say to me, well, has this revival disappeared? Uh, I want to say categorically no. I was in um, over, Overland Missions Base in Zambia in June, and I never got to preach. Uh, the glory of God hit those students, and they come from varied backgrounds. Many of them are, are in their early 20s. They were not a part of that move of God. They don't know what we walked in every day, every night, uh, never been exposed to it, and the glory of God just whoosh, hit them. Then I never got to preach. And I was there a whole week, and I had to say on the last night, well, I put the chairs back because they scattered bodies everywhere. I said, Get in, a, get in uh, the chairs, and uh, I'm going to teach just so you know I can teach. And I taught them on some principles of submission and authority and God's government and God's order because many of them are millennials and they don't understand these kingdom principles. So I taught them, but the power of God was just as strong, the joy of the Lord. The people had to be carried to their tents and to their homes after the meeting. So no, the move of God has not diminished in any way. However, one person said to me, what is God doing right now? And what God is doing, as far as I can see, is He is equipping the saints. There is a move of God for teaching and training. Not only is my schools prospering, but schools all over the world are prospering, as God is creating a hunger for knowledge, but not just knowledge of the mind, but a knowledge of the heart to know and to sense the movings of God and to align their lives to this thrust of the gospel into this generation. I think we are in the closing moments of time as we know it. And there is so much work that needs to be done. And to do it with skill, with authority, people have to be taught and trained in the uncompromising Word of God. And so what's that got to do with tonight? Everything, because we must again cultivate a hunger for the things of God. Not just the move of God, but the Word of God. We, we are looking at a series that I've entitled, I Seek. This morning I dealt with, I seek him in the sanctuary, though I put it right at the end. I did include it in the last closing moments of my 45-minute marathon, which is really should have been two or three hours of teaching. I just condensed it, believing God for supernatural knowledge to fill your heart and revelation to grip your mind. Uh, anyway, uh, I seek him in the sanctuary. Tonight, I want to deal with the subject that I've entitled, I seek first. I seek first the kingdom of God. Um, I, how did I come to Christ? I was uh, in the military at a young age. I volunteered. I went in at 16. Every South African was called. Every South African male was called into the military. At 16, you enrolled. At uh, the day you graduate, you either go in a January or a July intake, and you go through what you would call boot camp, we would call it basics, and then you would be into your more advanced training and then specialist training, and you'd be mobilized. I volunteered. I was actually called into the Navy. 
I never wanted to be in the Navy. I wanted to fight. I wanted to get into the bush. I wanted to fight in the war. I didn't want to sail in the ocean, even though I'd been a naval cadet since I was 12 and had reached the rank, and the naval cadets was a part of the South African Defense Force. So even though as a kid I was already in the Defense Force, that gave me a ticket right into the Naval Academy. And that had been my dream, but my dream was also to become armed and dangerous and to go to war. Um, And anyway, I went through my basics. I got into special training, and um, we were about to do a pre-dawn strike on the enemy at 17 years old. And I realized for the first time that if I got killed, and I didn't go into battle to be killed, I went into battle to kill my enemies... Our mission was simple, seek your enemy and destroy him. And uh, so I went with that goal. But you realize there's a difference between firing blanks and being fired at with live rounds. When people go bam, bam, bam with blanks, you fall down and they monitor you as dead or injured. But when it's live rounds, your body explodes. And I realized that this could be the the real thing. And I knew that I wasn't ready to meet God. So I thought it's a good time to get right with God at four o'clock in the morning about to do a pre-dawn strike. I said, God, please, I need to be right with you because if I die, I don't want to have to stand and give an account as a sinner. Not that I even knew that language, but I'm putting it into Christianese for you. I couldn't find peace in my soul. I, I could not find the Lord. And uh, it was getting close to the time when we'd get the signal to go in. And I thought, uh, I thought, what am I going to do? So I, I said to God, God, please, if you keep me alive, when I'm done with this and I get back home, I'm going to do my utmost to find you. And, uh, and then I will serve you all the days of my life. So when I came out of the military some years later, I, the first weekend... I went to the pub, I got horribly drunk, and then the second weekend I went to church and I started to seek God. And um, I would go from church to church and I would, I'd come out and i think, this cannot be the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible. This was pathetic. This was dead. Now, I was a critic before I was even saved um, of the church. <laughs> and then I'd go to the next church and i think, I can't find God in this place. Uh, and, and I was earnestly seeking to fulfill my vows. And I'd go from church to church, and I'd walk out disappointed. i think, this cannot be the God of signs, wonders, and miracles who turned the water into wine, who fed the, the, the multitudes. This is just formalistic religion. Eventually, I gave up on the church. I thought, this can't be the God of creation. So I went to cults, and then I found that the cults were weird. I would walk in, and i think, this is scary. I'm getting out of here. You've got to know when you've been in the military for years to think something's scary. It's scary. <laughs> I went from cult to cult, and I thought, this isn't it. So I tried Eastern religions. And I became a vegetarian, and I, I had this inner struggle because, uh, no offense to carnivores, but I discovered that I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a carnival by birth. I've been given incisors to rip and eat flesh. And, <laughs> and so um, I, 
I used to burn my incense and try to find God in deep meditation and sitting there in, in my posture, and all I got was very stiff hips and, and bored out of my skull, and I thought, this is not it either. And so I was getting to the point of giving up, religion to religion, cult to cult, church to church, and then a friend of mine got saved in a youth rally, a youth concert, an American um, band, musicians played in an open concert, an open air concert, and he was an adult, it was for youth, but he went as an adult, he was also seeking, he had tried different religions, he had not found God, and he went and he called me, and he was literally glowing with this love and this passion, I'm born again, I'm filled with the Spirit of God, you've got to get right with God, you've got to, got to come to church with me. So because of my search, I said, okay, I'll go with you. He tells me the address, I go to the church, when I arrive there, I'm shocked, because it was one of those weird churches that I'd been warned about even as a kid, never go, I never even considered going to that church in all my visits, because when I was at school, they told me, don't ever go to those churches, they lock the doors, they put off the lights, and they catch the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And just the very thought of ghosts, freaked me out, let alone Holy Ghost. I thought, I don't want to mess with the occultic realm ghosts in church. It really just freaked me out. <laughs> so we, my car's parked next to his, so he gets into my car and said, listen, John, I'm not going in there. These people are, are weird. It's strange. They lock the doors, they put off the lights, and they catch the Holy Ghost. He said, who told you that? I said, At school, everyone spoke about these weird people. Don't go in there. He said, please come in with me. I said, listen, I'm not going in there. What I'll do is I'll go to the Presbyterian church down the road where I grew up. Let me go give it one more try. He said, no, please come in with me. (laughs) I said these words to him. I'll go in with you on one condition. We sit in the back row. The moment they lock the doors, we run for our lives. (laughs) I was dismayed when I walked into the building. The back row was full. (laughs) I said to John, I said, listen, everyone's sitting in the back row. Something's going on here. They're getting ready to run out when this weird stuff takes place. Those days, church wasn't filled at the front. They filled from the back. How many of you remember the bad old lukewarm, cold, religious days of church? And and so they filled the back row. No offense to the back row. um, (laughs) And all the lukewarmies said, (laughs) woohoo, tonight's a night of freedom, healing, deliverance. So I ended up somewhere in the middle, which was the front row of that meeting. And, you know, by that time my hair had grown out, I'd become this hippie, and, 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 and so I was really out of place in church. Those days it was like I was a freak show coming in. I mean, the greeters didn't even greet me. And uh, they kind of like stepped back, whoa, what's coming into the, our church So I sat in the front row, and the preacher, I'm sure he turned it on for me because he was like preaching hell hot. 
heaven good, devil bad, Jesus good. And, and then he gave the altar call and he's pointing to me like I'm the sinner in the house, <laughs> which I was. But I thought, why single me out just because I've got this long hair and I look like I need salvation? And he gave this long altar call. Must have been all of like 30 minutes. Every eye closed, every head bowed, piano playing in the background, lights dimmed. And I thought, whoa, yeah, go the lights dimmed. (laughs) (sighs) Some elbowed, are you going to go forward? No. I'm not going forward. You should go now. Tonight's your night. I said, I'm not going forward. I said, I I turned to John. I said, listen, if this is the creator of heaven and earth, I said, you don't mess with him. You don't go up and make some vow that you're not willing to fulfill. I'm going to have to weigh this up because there was a lot of stuff in my life that I'd accumulated along the way. I did not understand the power of the blood that cleansed me from all sin. I thought I'm going to have to clean myself up. I thought I'm going to have to get religious. I'm going to have to do this work of cleaning my life. And certainly it was full of clutter and mess and stuff that I don't even want to go into other than to say when Paul wrote, I was the chiefest among all sinners, a murderer and a blasphemer. I made Paul in his murdering, blaspheming days look like a saint in comparison to me. Now I say the only reason he could write that by the Holy Ghost is because when he wrote that, I wasn't alive. Because he'd have to say, there is one worse than me. I'm the second of the worst. (laughs) Which you'd never say now when you look at me as just a marvelous specimen of purity, holiness, and spirituality. But, whoa, you had to know me back then. (laughs) Just kidding. Not about the know me back then, the other part. Anyway... um, I said, I'm going to go home and think about it, and I slipped out, and I heard a sigh of relief when I walked out of the building, and I did think about it, and I, and I, I decided I'm going to go back, and I'm going to surrender my heart to Jesus, and I did, and as a result, I was born again, and then a few, you know, a, a miracle took place in me because for the first time in my life, I had a vision saw my life, God's protection, God's call upon my life. God spoke to me what was to me an audible voice. I came out of that place changed. I sought him for salvation and I found him there. Uh, I know that he came to seek and to save the lost. But somewhere in his seeking the lost, he started to draw me, whether it be through my own vows, through my own search, he drew me to him. I don't think I found him. He found me first. Then I, as it were, embraced his call of grace to my life. But I did seek him for salvation. I'm pretty sure most of you, when I look across this place, most of you, with the exception of one or two, the back row people and stuff. You are all born again and you love Jesus. I just see one of them. (laughs) Some people are switching from the back row. I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. So um, Sunday night I'm born again. 
Monday morning, I'm at the Christian booksellers. First thing, those days in South Africa, all shops open 8.30. Yeah, we open 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock on Sundays, but South Africa businesses from 9 till 5, uh, 8.30 to 5, and I was there at 8.30 at the Christian bookstore. I knew exactly where it was because, uh, and some of you won't know what these are, but we had records those days. It was like pre cassettes and podcasts and downloads, you'd get the vinyl. And my record shop was right there next to the Christian bookshop. I had never been in the Christian bookshop my whole life. But I bypassed the, 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 the record store and I went and I stood at the door. The moment they opened it, I walked in as they opened it. Why? Because I had found him, but now I wanted to seek him more. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. There's a song that we sing um, where, uh, um, let me think of the words, let me get the words for you. Um, The more I seek Him, the more I I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. Uh, And that's what was happening. I'd sought Him for salvation And I discovered the reality of his presence, of his voice, of his power, of his transforming work in my my being. And now I really, really wanted to seek him. I had sought him for salvation. Now I wanted to seek him for the purpose uh, of my calling, of my salvation. Leon, I've called you to be a carrier of my word to the nations. Now I had to seek him to know who he was, how he operated, what he wanted me to do to do. I became a seeker of God. I walked in. I said, I want a Bible. I want a black holy Bible. That's what I read there on the the people had holy Bibles. I said, I want the holy Bible. (laughs) I said, I want the one with the little indentations. When they say turn, I can find where to turn to. Because they stuck a Bible in my hand in my unsaved days, the first day of church. And when the Preacher said, turn in your Bibles to some scripture. I turned and I couldn't find it. And the whole church was quiet and all you could hear was, it's like the poem. Eventually I just faked it. I just opened my Bible and I'm pretending I'm reading and then I look down and it's upside down. And so I was like Zacchaeus, I heard about him, I sought him, and he came to me and he called me down from my tree, and he came to my home, and he visited me, and we had supper, and he changed my life, hallelujah. Now I wanted to seek him more. Now I wanted to seek him as a follower, I wanted to know him more and more, and the more I sought him, the more I loved him. And uh, so my life became one of a God seeker. I would get up early in the morning to pray. I would get up to read the Word. When I had my lunch breaks, I would read the Word. Uh, those days I was a surfer, and, and so I, would, um, I, I was a pro-life God. Uh, and um, so I would go to the beach, and in the winter there was no one on the beach, so I would just sit reading the Word all day. Wrapped in a blanket on my beach, 
watching if anyone did come down stupid enough to swim in shark-infested waters. I would sit there with a blanket wrapped around, and I read the Word, I read the Word, I read the Word. I highlighted, underlined it, meditated in, prayed it, spoke it. I fasted, I prayed, I began to share the gospel. People started to get saved. I laid hands on people. People started to get uh, filled with the Spirit, started to be healed. And I, I watched how God began to use me. The more I sought Him, the greater the anointing, the authority of God grew in my life. Eventually, I had God encounters. I would wait upon God, and, and His glory would flood my life. And I've had a number of encounters, significant encounters that just shaped my ministry, where God came to me and touched me. And when He didn't come and touch me, I just laid a hold of the grace of God and touched Him. And the more I, I pressed in, the more God-filled I became, which then set my life on a course towards full-time ministry, which soon happened even as a young Christian. I wasn't matured yet. I'd only been saved a few years when the first door for full-time service opened for me as a youth pastor in uh, Sterling for Gospel in East London, South Africa. And... Uh, and then I began to seek Him for revelation, for ministry, to preach, to teach. But I became a God seeker. And so I, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. So above all, this is from the Passion Translation. In the King James it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The Passion Translation words it beautifully. So above all constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from Him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. I, as I read Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, I saw that my first pursuit must be for Him and for His kingdom. Seek first the kingdom or seek first the king of the kingdom. When you find the king, you find the kingdom. The rule of God is established in your life. And then everything that you desire, everything that you need, everything that the world is going after will come after you. You don't have to seek the stuff. The stuff will locate you. What you've got to do is seek the Lord, seek the king of the kingdom. And when you enter into his kingdom, and the righteousness of God enters into you, then you will do the right things in the right way, and the provision of God comes to your life. From six, Matthew 6, 33, I've, I've concluded it to be the following. Seek him first. Number two, seek him passionately. Number three, seek him fervently. Seek him, number four, with diligence and faith. If you will seek God in that way, he says, seek and you will find. If you seek him passionately, fervently, diligently, and with faith, and you make him your highest priority, and you begin to seek him, you will find. He will not, he will not pass you by. Just like he came to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was seeking him, but Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. You understand? When you seek and God is seeking you, there comes a collision of destiny and the glory of God will fill your life. 
Just before coming to the United States of America, I, I had entered into a time of, uh, even though my ministry was prospering in God, I felt a shift coming. You can feel when God's going to redirect your life. And I felt the shift, and I set a time aside to seek God. And every day I'd wake up early, I set my, my, my schedule to get up even earlier, and I would go to the beach to pray. The reason I'd go to the beach is my house was just five minutes from the beach. And uh, it wasn't like America beaches where it's built up with condos. It's just dunes and sea forest, you know, coastal forest. And I could walk for seven miles one way and not even see a soul. Just walk and pray in the Spirit, pray with my understanding. In those days, I'd have a little pocket New Testament and a notebook about the same size, and I'd stick them in my back pocket, and I would read the Word, and I would meditate in the Word, and I would pray the Word, and I would take notes, and I would listen for God's voice, because I understand that if you seek God, and you call upon His name, He's going to answer you and show you great and mighty things. So I was seeking Him, noting the shift, and then He spoke to me and said, Leon, as the eagle stirs the nest, understanding the concept, so I direct my people. He says, I'm stirring your life, and I'm about to kick you out the nest, and it's time for you to fly into new dimensions of glory. I turned, God had prospered me, he still prospers me, but he had back then. And I had a manservant. I had a maidservant as well. And I turned to my manservant, and I said to him, you need to get all my missions gear, my sound system, my generator, my tents, and that. You need to get all the stuff ready because I think God's going to lead me back into the villages of Africa. That had always been in my heart was just to go from village to village and to plunder hell and to populate heaven. And I thought, he's releasing me from pastoral ministry, from Bible school ministry, and he's sending me throughout Africa to reach the lost. And Reinhard Bonnke and these big evangelists were going in the cities, and I would clean up all the areas where they weren't going. I would go into the little villages, the little towns, and where they were getting their hundreds of thousands, I would get my 10,000. But I was happy with 10,000. Because someone had to go there. No one wanted to go to the little outlying places. I was willing to go. So I said to him, get my stuff ready. Thinking logically, because that was where my heart is. And my heart was, God's at work in you both to will and to do. So it's my will. It's God's will. That's what I want to do is go back into the mission field. And then I go to the beach, and I hear the voice of God, go to America. I turned to the Lord. This is exactly how it went. I said, God, that's the last place I ever want to go. I said, they've got churches, Bible schools, Christian television, Christian radio, and there's villages within miles of where I live that have never been touched. I said, send me rather to Vietnam. That was my prayer. I said, God, send me to Vietnam. I don't want to go to a built-up America. Everyone wanted to get out of Africa to America for the, the American dream. That was the last thing in my mind. I didn't want a dream. I wanted a battle. I wanted to fight witch doctors and lay hold of villages and break the chains of darkness off their lives. The last thing I wanted to do was come to a, a Christian country. 
the, the Lord wasn't moved by my argument, go to America. Well, at the same time, Rodney Howard Brown had been used in upstate New York in revival, and members of his family were members of my church, and they were getting all his um, cassettes. Some of you won't know that what is. You can look it up on Google. And uh, his uh, videos, you won't probably know what that is either. And uh, they were shipping it to me, and they would put it on my desk, watch this. And I, I've got to be honest. I used to just throw it in the garbage. I wouldn't even, I just, just throw it away. I wasn't in the least bit interested in what God was doing in America. And uh, so I just throw it away. And then the word kept coming, word kept coming. And then I watched one of the videos, and I thought, this is craziness personified. This is just weird. And, um, and then I had to go away, and he came to our city. And while I was away, the power of God invaded. Many of my church were touched and filled and delivered. And I knew their lives. Some of them were miserable. And now they were happy and whole. And I thought, wow, I've worked with these people for years, and they're miserable. And he comes for a day, and they're full of joy, and they're released, and they're happy. Something's happening. So I watched the videos, and I still don't like it. I think this is so unnecessary. Anyway, one of my friends walked up to me and said, Leon, what do you think about these things? And I was about to say, I don't like it. And out of my spirit came what I think is of no importance. What does God think? And I realized that I defended the Holy Spirit. And I fell on my face before God right there in the foyer of my church. I said, God, it's not Rodney. It's not the joy. It's not the holy laughter. It's not the running and shouting and all this freak show. I said, the problem is me, Leon Van Royen. And I, and I turned. I went in my office. I slammed the door. I said to one of the pastors, you preach. I was meant to preach that night. I said, you preach. He said, I'm not ready. I said, what? You're a Pentecostal. You must be ready to preach, pray, prophesy, and die. I said, go and preach. He had that deer in the headlight look. Anyway, I slammed the door shut, and I virtually stayed in there for two months. That's how I got so slim. I used to be a lot bigger. Just kidding. I did come out for meals. I saw my family. I, I, but I was in the Word. I got a brand new Bible off my shelf, started to read from Genesis to Revelation. I said, God... I want to see these things in the Word. I said, God, you've got to speak to me because I'm not persuaded. I heard me prophesying and challenging me. I was both the prophet and the donkey. I'm the donkey speaking to the prophet, and I realize I'm in trouble with you, but I need to see it in the Word. The Bereans searched the Scriptures to see whether these things be of God. I said, God, I'm not jumping into anything unless I see it in the Word. So I started to fast and pray for two months. Two months later, this is all in the time God's telling me to go to America. Two months later, the glory of God hits me because I sought Him. I never moved. I, I hardly did anything. All I did was pray, study, meditate, and press into the glory. But when the invasions of God hit my life, 
This explosion took place inside of me that I cannot tell you the impact that it has made upon my life and my ministry. And as a result, nations have been touched. Islands have been shaken. The glory of God has fallen in places, signs, wonders, and miracles, things that I've read about in books of ancient revival. Uh, I saw in my own life and ministry as a result of the grace of God meeting my pursuit, and we collided, and this glory filled my being. And, and so I've learned as a way of life to be a God seeker, because there's always more. I, um, I, I love Psalm 27 and verses 7 to 9, and again, please forgive me if I read from the Passion Translation, but I just love the way it's framed in this new translation. He says, God, hear my cry. Show me your grace. Show me mercy and send the help I need. Lord, when you said to me, seek my face, my inner being responded, I am seeking your face with all my heart. <laughs> the King James says, and the Lord said, seek my face. And the psalmist responds, your face, Lord, will I seek. I want you to catch this. The Lord says, seek my face. I call that divine invitation to go deeper, higher, further than you have ever dreamt possible. Dimensions of glory are accessible to our lives. Hallelujah. There are breakthroughs that are waiting for you. But for you to enter to that new level, there is a pressing in. There is a pressing through. There is a pressing on that you have to do. Seek my face. Invitation. The other day, I received an invitation to a, one of the pastors that I know his daughter was getting married, and they sent me an invitation. And you all know this. You've all received invitations. When you get the invitation, there's a little tear-off section that you mail back, and it's called RSVP. Yeah, God sends the psalmist an invitation. Seek my face. When God gives you an invitation, seek my face, what should be your response? Your face, Lord, I will seek. However, 45 years of ministry, I've been around the mountain. I've worked with God's people for years. There is always an appeal from heaven, but I've watched people shelve their invitations, put it in their stack of stacks, and it stays there until it's too late to send the RSVP. They've already got kids when you next look at it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because this is what people do. They have a stack. Then next week they move the stack. And then six months later the stack has just moved around the desk. And then eventually, oh, that's too late. That's too late. There is a time to seek God. <laughs> seek my face. My inner being responded, I am seeking your face. How? With all my heart. There is only one way to seek God. That's to seek Him first and to seek Him with all of your heart. There is nothing about God that I can see in Scripture where He tolerates the dregs, the scraps, the leftovers, the afterthought. Everything about him is, he is God. He is the highest, the Lord most high, the God Almighty. You don't say, 
at his invitation, seek my faith, um, excuse me, I'm busy. That's when you pull aside whatever was a priority, goes into the wait list. I was teaching on time management, and I say straight out, you cannot manage time. Time manages you. All you can do is manage yourself. I was was dealing, they said to me, can you please teach the leaders on time management? I began, I said, you cannot manage time. Time manages you. You have no control over time. You don't know the day you are going to die. What you've got left is you've got to make every moment count. There's two measures of time. There's kairos time, and then there is chronos time. You have to learn how to work chronos so that when you get God's kairos moments, at that time, you respond quickly. I was saying, I have schedules. I have to-do lists. My goodness, I have to-do lists for to-do lists. I have my to-do list allocated into Bible schools, missions, meetings, DA, who's the CEO of a corporation, media, and so I can go down. I have to-do lists for every department. And I'm not a micromanager. Believe me, I sit back, delegate, delegate, delegate. But there are some things I have to do. I have to-do lists. But I was sharing as how I work my, my time. People say, how do you get so much done? Writing 35 new books. How do you do it? I'll tell you how. I manage myself. And I have everything allocated in time frames. And I said, and I was sharing on how I do all this. And I'm sure some of you, wow, I wish that. I've got so much to do. I just don't know how to handle it. There are a lot of people that waste time. They kill. They, they say, I'm killing time. You can't kill time. When you kill time, you kill eternity inside of you. The potential for vision and life-changing works. You have to manage yourself. Anyway, I said, here's what I do. When the voice of God comes, even though it is a triple-A priority, it immediately becomes a double-A priority. God is, and His voice is my triple-A priority. That's why when he confronted me in the foyer of my church, that what I think is of no consequence, I thought, I'm, I better make this a priority to seek God. Even though I was going to preach, shelved. I will lay things down, events, family events, whatever it is, at the command of God. It's just the way it is. He must have first place, and he must have the highest place, and I'm seeking him with all of my heart. In Psalm 27, 8 and 9, it says, When you said, this is, seek my face, yes, the King James, my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. I want to assure you that when you seek God, He is not going to hide His face here is a, 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 a writing under the power of the Holy Spirit, but not understanding the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. God is not going to cut you off. He's going to draw you in. He's going to reveal himself to you. Um, I know that you guys love Christ for the nations. In fact, you studied there. And... Um, it's a great school. When I was pastoring, I sent at least two people a year 
from my church to Christ for the Nations, paid for them. Why? Because I really believed in, in, in the Lindsays. In fact, when I came to America, I was offered a teaching position at Christ for the Nations. You don't know that. The reason I am in Tampa, Florida is because the whole country was in ice and snow. And I had this invitation, and I looked at the weather there, and I said, this isn't where God's leading me. I'm staying right in Florida. And I'm glad I did, even though I love that school. But they produced a song, and you may even know it, and I want to give you the words, because it's very God-romantic, and maybe I'm not quite into that same terminology about God, but I want to give you the words. I don't want to offend you guys as alumni of Christ for the Nations. To seek your face and not your hand, to fall in love with the Holy Lamb, and here's where it really gets soppy. To steal your heart with one look of my eyes, to kiss your face is my heart's cry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's really a little weird. But I love their ministry. Anyway. <laughs> but I have heard this terminology a lot. To seek your face and not your hand. How many of you have heard that? In fact, I went on Google, and there was a whole lot of stuff, and people were just writing, yeah, we don't need the hand of God, we just need the face of God. And what, we, what do we mean by the face of God? The face of God is the heartbeat of God, the presence of God. Whenever it refers to the face of God, it's speaking about the presence, the tangibility of God. And I have understood this principle because I meditated on it. I've heard it so much. I seek his face and not his hand. And I'm thinking, when you seek the face of God, you get the touch of God. It's not like I don't need the touch of God. That's what they said in the lukewarm church. Uh, they, had, they were wealthy. They had need of nothing. And yet God called them bankrupt and blind, and miserable, and wretched, because they got to a point where they said, I need nothing. When you get to the point of saying, I need nothing, I want to tell you, you have no vision. Because if you need nothing, there's a world around you that needs something, and you will never have the resource, even if you, your last name is Gates. You will not have enough to meet the suffering of our generation. So to say I have need of nothing is a pathetic state that is of a, it speaks of a lack of vision, purpose, and a need for a miracle. There is never a day in my life when I don't need a miracle, when I don't need a breakthrough in some dimension. If not for me, I pray for people every day from all over the world that are sick, dying, and in critical state. Talk about post uh, traumatic stress. I get it just in my prayer list, all the suffering every day that comes to my desk as people call in and write in because they are dying and sick and poverty stricken. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I need a miracle for them if not for myself. You understand? It's ludicrous. When you seek the face of God, you get the touch of God. And I thrive in the touch of God. I know I don't walk by feelings. I walk by faith. But I love it when God puts his hand upon my life and flashes of lightning 
go through my being. And uh, as that old song goes, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. I love the joy that floods my soul at the touch of heaven. I do want to seek his face. I do want to fall in love with him over and over because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And I do love him because he first loved me, and I want to increase in that love. But I desperately need his touch. So when I talk about seeking him, it's not just seeking his face. It is seeking his presence. And when you find his presence, there you will find his glory. His touch comes upon you. And what I love about the Lord, and you see this in his earthly ministry, everyone that came to him, even the Roman. When he, the Roman centurion, my servant, he's on his way to Jairus' daughter who's deathly ill. I'll come. Don't you love that about Jesus? He was always willing to go at the appeal of suffering. When the leper came, Lord, if you are willing, I'm willing. He wanted to touch. He wanted to heal. He wanted to fill. He wanted to feed. He has never changed. He is and always will be generous, good kind, rich in mercy, and his provision is without limitation. He is large-handed, and I know it's out of context, but I love it, and my God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you seek him, the provision is available. Uh, he has not held back on you in any way, but there is one thing that I notice with those 10 lepers that Nine of them wanted the touch of God, but only one came to seek the face of God. There are many Christians that are like that. So on the one hand, I don't like the language of, I don't want his hand, I just want his face. I don't think that that is accurate. But I've also discovered many Christians that all they want is the hand of God, but never the presence of God. They never want to become the worshipers of God and go further in God. They want their miracle and then get on with their lives. How many of you know people like that? And that's not balanced either. So somewhere we've got to meet between these two places. We need the face of God. We need the touch of God. They're not in competition with each other. But if you're just going after the touch of God, something is wrong. You've got to get the face of God, the heartbeat of God. You've got to feel His presence, hear His call, and align yourself to His will and purpose. Otherwise, you will always just be a spectator, and you'll always be in need. And you'll go from meeting to meeting, trying to get your needs satisfied. Your needs are not satisfied in just the touch of God. Your destiny is found in the face of God. When you seek Him, I'm a God seeker because I understand He has got realms for me of breakthrough, dimensions of authority, mission, uh, tasks. And um, I was meditating on Ezekiel 37 when the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel and He said, prophesy to these dry bones. And we were singing about these bones shall live. And, I was, and while we were singing and I was just thinking, I, I started to meditate because I'm deep like that, you know, we just... I'm super deep, and um, you sing a song, these bones will live, and I'm thinking, right, I want the bones to live. How do I get the bones to live? And I'm thinking of, of Ezekiel, and I'm thinking, you know what? He must have been seeking God, 
And when he began to seek God, God said, yes, a man that I can use to raise this generation from the, from the defeat, the humiliation of being dry bones without a proper burial, the feeding the fowl of the air and the beasts of the field. This isn't the destiny of my people. I need a prophet who will prophesy to these bones. And who did he choose? Ezekiel. Why did he choose Ezekiel? I'll tell you why. Because as I was singing that song, I began to meditate. Ezekiel was a seeker. He was seeking God. God was seeking a seeker. God found Ezekiel and said, I can trust you to prophesy to this nation and bring it back to life. Most people are so busy seeking stuff and seeking their own things, they're not seeking the will of God, and that's why they're not prophesying to the bones, and they're not seeing the miracles, they're not seeing the change, because they're so caught up in their own agendas. Ezekiel had the agenda of God in his heart, and he positioned himself before God, and God could use him. In Psalm 24 and verse 6, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Think about that for a moment. Jacob sought God. How? To the point that he came to Jacob, and Jacob held on to him, refused to let him go until he received a new identity and a breakthrough and a new name and a, a, a new sense of destiny. Most Christians don't hold on long enough. They just get that first little download and then they back away. They got a touch. They got a, no, he went after God and Jacob became Israel. You understand? Because he clung and he held on and he wrestled with the Lord. I know that he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but the, the result was as a seeker, he found and he was changed. And I love this. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him. What? The generation of those that want breakthrough, who want change, who want radical transformation. If ever there was a generation of believers that need to become, as it were, a generation of transformation, it is our generation. We've been so patterned by the world. We've been so patterned by religion. It's time for a radical shift. We need an encounter with the holy God of Israel, the God of transformation, the God of change. How do we get it? By seeking Him, Selah. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. I want you to see this. Often circumstances will draw us to become seekers of God, our affliction. I want to suggest to you that you should never get to the point where your life becomes lukewarm, average, mediocre, gutless, namby-pamby, weak need to the point where you're afflicted because of your lukewarm heart. You should stay in the place of earnest seeking God, that your circumstances be not the vehicle to push you to seek God, but rather your desire, your love, and your faith. Many people are God's seekers in their afflictions. They have the kind of mentality in case of emergency break loss. 
That's when they seek God, when there's an emergency, a crisis. I want to suggest that we should be earnest seekers of God, not just in crisis, but day to day making Him our priority. Can someone say amen? In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him. If, what is if? Conditional. You seek Him, how? With all your heart and with all your soul. Here's my conclusion after reading Deuteronomy 4, 29. There's only one way to seek God. How? With all your heart. What's the Hebrew for all? All. And with all. All your soul, in other words, your entire being is placed into this posture, this position of seeking Him. Now I know that His presence and His power is always available. I know that He is not hiding Himself from us. I know if there's there's an issue, it's not really about His withholding. But there is this thing where we have to make capacity for God. And sometimes our lives get so cluttered with routines, behavior, stuff that come and take the place that He once held. And so there is a process. For me, it was two months of study and research, giving myself to Him. But He had a great work for me in the nations And obviously, it would require much time uh, of seeking him. I know that Saul, after his Damascus road, he was in Arabia for years seeking God. But that's how he obtained the revelation of what today we refer to as Paul's gospel. Because he sought God. He had encounters in the spirit where God revealed his purpose and plan. Uh, And why did it take so many years? Because transformation is not always an instant work. You understand? There's a pressing in. There's a laying before God. There's a waiting on God, which is a kind of a, a, a difficult one because I grew up Pentecostal. Uh, I was saved in a Pentecostal church. But I'm not like into Pentecostalism at that same time. There was the Jesus people. There was the charismatic renewal. So I'm kind of a mixture of Pentecostalism, hippie, saved hippie, and then, um, you know, the charismatic wave flagging, chauffeur blowing, dancing kind of a messed up people. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Well, it was exciting days. I loved those days of discovery. I loved my fellowship right across the board with churches. Uh, uh, you know, the Pentecostals used to be so superior, and I found priests and nuns that loved God with such passion. I found Methodists that were just so in love with Jesus. We had the best times together, just like as they were discovering these realms in the Spirit. And I loved that heritage that I have, this discovery. But then came the word of faith. And I learned how to to exercise my faith. And, you know, we were taught when you pray, you receive. And uh, which was a conflict because, yeah, on the one hand, I've been taught to press in and wait till I get the breakthrough. And on the other hand, I'm to pray, believe, receive, and then just move on with thanksgiving. So it sounds almost like a contradiction. But I've learned that even though I receive instantly by faith, 
There's still a waiting upon God until there's an alignment in my circumstances. And I learned that like when my kids were sick, I, I, I would just get on my face in their room when they were babies. And I can't tell you of the dangerous situations. I think it was because of the call of God upon our lives. But there was always a physical attack against my kids, against my family, against my health. And even, as you know, Matthew was paralyzed. And, and I would, this was me, I would just get on my face. And I would pray. And I would go into the spirit realm and wage a warfare until that fever broke and their bodies were healed. I just never came out that prayer room until the miracle took place. That's how I got my miracles. That's how I got my breakthroughs. I just stayed. And if I had to go to work, if I couldn't get the vacation time needed, I would go to work and I'd just be praying all day. I'd just be pressing for the, until the circumstances change. I think Christians have just got to this point where they don't want to persevere. They don't want to press until the environment changes and the glory of God invades their soul. I pressed until I had settled peace. When Matthew was paralyzed, I pressed without ceasing. I never slept for days. I just prayed. I, I, I would walk and just quote the word, read the word, pray the word, prophesy it into his body, into the environment. And then came a peace that flooded my being, and I heard the voice of God saying, two weeks he'll walk out. Even though I had a peace, and I heard the voice of God, I kept praying. I kept giving thanks. I kept prophesying until the two weeks was over. Came week one, the middle of the two weeks. He was afflicted again. He went worse than he was when he was almost killed. You understand? We went right back to where we started. I pressed because I realized this is an attack from hell to nullify the promise that I've received in my spirit. And I pressed until his body changed and began to move and health was restored to his paralyzed body. I just never gave up. I pressed. I sought God. I pressed and prophesied and prayed and waged a good warfare until the circumstances changed. I think Christians have got sloppy when it comes to pressing. When you need a download, people are waiting for the baptism in the Spirit. I would tell people, just take a vacation and stay in your prayer room until you, the glory of God fills you and you start speaking in other tongues. I just tell people, get alone until God zaps you. If you healed, pray until you healed. If you're sick, pray until you healed. If you need a breakthrough, you pray, you prophesy until that breakthrough takes place. You don't back down. You don't give up. You wait until the glory of God invades. What most people don't know is in these big blowout meetings that I used to have, I would be in prayer before those meetings, and I would wait on God to hear what He wanted me to do. I wouldn't just go in based on yesterday's experience. I would wait, and God would show me what to do, and He'd give the word that I'm to speak, and I would, ne I would not even get up to preach until I heard from heaven. Sometimes I'd be sitting uh, uh, while people are worshiping, saying, God, it's getting close. They're about to invite me up. I need your word. I can't live on what we did yesterday. As great as it was, I need your word for today.
I need to hear. And even though I've preached this series, I wait on God for every single meeting. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? You can listen to all my I Seek series. You'll not find one exactly the same. I'll have my notes. I'll jump around because I'm listening to God. What's He wanting for your lives? Why? Because I'm pressing, pressing, hearing. I'm cultivating a hearing ear and a believing heart and hands and mouth and feet that will do the will of God. Most Christians want a quick fix. They don't want to press into those realms. God is open-handed in generosity. He's not holding back on us. But sometimes our circumstances have to be challenged in the spirit because there are walls and blockages that are there from demonic realms where you have to take your thoughts captive. We have to um, wage the warfare in the spirit. Often those, that warfare is not principalities and powers, but it's your own thinking. It's your culture. It's your worldview. And as you wait on God, He comes and He begins to shift your heart, your mind, your thinking, your logic, and aligns you to His Word. So we can't just like pray a little prayer of faith. We've got to hear from God and align our lives. And that's why I'm a God seeker. When I go into nations, I don't just fly in and I seek God. God, what do you want me to do? What must I deliver in that place? And that's how I get these supernatural breakthroughs and open doors. It's because I'm pressing for it. I'm not just like in passivity, uh, even though I could walk on 45 years of experience. 45 years of experience doesn't count. Why? Because you've got to live in the now in God. What you were and what you did gives you experience, but if you live in experience, you'll quickly fall into a stagnated state. You've got to press for the ever-moving cloud of glory. You've got to move with the cloud. You've got to hear the voice of God. You've got to move with the voice of God. You cannot rely on experience. Experience will let you down. Feelings will let you down. But if you hear the voice of God and get the touch of God, that will empower your life. I want to close, and then I'm going to pray for people. We know that He will reveal Himself. There is a difference, and it leans towards what I shared this morning. Many Christians, they, um, they know that they can find God anywhere because He's omnipresent. And, you know, so you have Christians who will go to the golf course on a Sunday morning instead of being in church. Because God is everywhere all the time. Am I against golf? No, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great game. Um, it's a challenging game. Uh, but it's a time-consuming game. And it takes hours to play a game, four hours. And then you've got to warm up and you've got to, you know, it's just a, it's a long game. And when, you, when you've got vision, it's very hard to find four hours. But, um, and it's true. I have witnessed and shared the gospel with fellow golfers because the first thing you do when you meet people is, what do you do? I'm glad you've asked. And you begin to share. Then they, they apologize right up front. Hey, I may cuss. Please forgive me. You know, just like straight away. 
They just start with the apologies. And so, you know, you get these opportunities. But here's the thing. You can find God everywhere, but I'm, I know this for me. I get into worship. You're sitting in my seat. I get into worship. <laughs> I'm serious. When you get into worship, I hear more from God in the corporate gathering. I get touched by God more in the corporate gathering than I do in my prayer closet. You hear what I'm saying? That's why we come together as the church. It's a place of a holy encounter with God. And when you get into the atmosphere of the corporate anointing, you'll hear more, you'll sense more, you'll get heaven's breakthroughs quicker. Now, God does meet me in my prayer room. God can meet you in the shower. God can meet you driving down the highway. But there is something about the corporate gathering. Even tonight while I was worshiping in that seat where you've taken my chair. Um, <laughs> I had downloads of God's glory. In worship, I'm hearing God. Every song, I'm hearing God. Just like you went up with purpose and conviction, sharing. I hear God in the anointing. I get breakthroughs. I sense the presence of God. And, and, and you know, there's something about getting into the prayer closet where there's no one around. And I love it. And I've developed as a God seeker that habit of starting my day early in the morning in the presence of God cup of coffee in the one hand, my Bible in the other, and I just wait upon God. It's just a glorious time. Switch off your phone, no noise, nothing around, especially as you now come into fall, which is just so beautiful, the smell of fresh air, no humidity just starting to come in. Don't you love it? Uh, it's just a great time of the year to just get outside and feel that early morning cool, and then the Word. It's just a beautiful thing. But then I come into the household of God, and I begin to, I never come into church just like stumbling in. I've been praying. I'm expectant. I come expecting to hear from God. You will never see me in church without my iPad, and unfortunately, I'm not connected to the internet because often downloads are coming and I'm pulling up scriptures and statements so you'll see me pull out my phone and I'll start doing research while we're worshiping because I'm hearing God to make shifts in what I'm about to say and do. I get more in the corporate gathering because I come with faith, I come with expectation and I come seeking Him. I'm not coming just because it's tradition. I'm seeking God. How? First, how? passionately, how? With all of my heart, with all of my soul. I don't think there's any other way to get the breakthroughs. Everyone wants to be used by God. There's not a Christian who shouldn't want to be used by God. How many of you would like to be used by God in the supernatural? Of course. How many of you want to see souls saved? How many of you want to see your families touched? How many of you would like to see our nation touched? My goodness, we're in need of a desperate breakthrough in this nation. And I've said it and I'll say it again. The problem is not the White House. The problem is not Republican or Democrat. The problem is God's house. We dictate the spiritual atmosphere of this nation. The church has the obligation to wage a warfare for our nation. We know that times are, 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 are like Bob Dylan said, are changing. They are changing. There's, there's a change for the worst in this nation. 25 years in America, when I got here, it was bad. 
Now it's bad on steroids. When I came in, Bill Clinton was president. I thought that was bad. You understand? It's not about Donald Trump. It doesn't matter who's in presidency. It's been bad, but now it's really bad. And I'm saying God's house is, is, is responsible. We've been muted. We've lost our, our presence in this nation. The voice of the media is louder than the voice of the church. We have to regain that. And how? We've got to become seekers of God. We can, like Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones of this nation and see a great revival. I believe it for this nation. I believe God's not done with America. I believe that this nation will still influence, our generation will influence the world in signs, wonders, miracles, souls being saved. I am fully persuaded that these football stadiums are not there for sport. They are there for the church. That the church's impact will be so great that if, if, doctor, if doctor, what he was called then, Yongi Cho could fill stadiums for a prayer meeting. I believe that we could have it in our generation. What's that guy in Nigeria? He's, he's been in the ministry 20 years. Started about when Phil started Overland Missions. God said to him, draw a man in the sand. He'd draw a little stick man. God said to him, now take your hand and wipe that man out. He wiped him out. He said, I'm going to promote you. I'm going to elevate your life. But if you become arrogant and you use this position, I'm going to wipe you out. That's how his ministry started 20 years ago. He has got, I think, three universities that are not corrugated iron and wood. They're huge. They're bigger than Oral Roberts University, the most modern technology. He, the, the church never stops meeting. People have tickets to get into church because they can only go to one service. There isn't capacity. Phil was there with Rodney a few months ago. They are counting the money, listen to this, from their offerings. Last year, they cannot keep up with the counting of the money. They're counting last year's offerings, and we're already into this year, near the end of the year. The, the money is too much to count. Yeah, don't tell me God cannot change a nation and move powerfully, no matter how dark it is. There are forces that are fighting for Nigeria. There are forces fighting for America. There are forces fighting for, for the United Kingdom. Some of them have gained great land. But I'm saying if the church would arise, we will win our generation. But for that to take place, we've got to become desperate God-seekers. I've, in my life, <laughs> had the privilege of reaching over a million souls. Hallelujah. I have raised up thousands of Bible school students and schools and touched people in humanitarian aid and different things. And <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a small ministry with a huge impact. You don't need a huge operation to do a big job. You need faith. How have I done it? Because I've sought God. I went village to village, seeking God, got miracles. Miracles make the way. We have one miracle, the whole village comes. I said, God, give me a miracle in every village. Phil's driving in Malawi in a Toyota Cressida back then. 
first mission trip with Overland Missions. Were you part of that one? You were second or third. First one, they come to a village. There's a cripple on the side of the road. Get out the car, pray for him, walks. The whole village comes. You understand? Walking and leaping, praising God, 5,000 men saved. One miracle brings a village. We can win a nation, but to get those miracles and breakthroughs, there's got to be a people willing to press and seek God for that kind of an authority and power. I believe we need that for our generation. I don't know about you. I don't want to have a form of godliness, nice little meetings. I want to plunder hell, populate heaven, and win my nation for God. How many feel the same way? Those stadiums can become our place for our prayer meetings, our Bible study groups, <laughs> whole nations. I saw it in Clearwater, Florida. Soon after I got here, an image came on the glass of Mother Teresa. It actually looked more, uh, not um, Mother Mary. Uh, it looked more like Mother Teresa, but anyway, she had a, quite a big nose. And... Um, just the traffic was jammed everywhere, every road. You couldn't get to the image. And I was infuriated. I said, this is idolatry at its worst. I was about to go public. I was going to have interviews with, with the newspapers and say, we've got to stop this thing. This is ludicrous. People coming, flying in from all over the world for an image of Mary, which is not an image of Mary. It's a, a reaction of the... Um, the water hitting the glass and the minerals that are in the water and the glass, and it's formed. You see where the founder was, and it just happened to look like Mary. Anyway, I'm not against Catholics. Like I told you, I've danced with nuns and priests and had some great blowouts with Catholic believers. But um, you couldn't get hotels in the city. Every hotel was fully booked. They had to put a permanent police station in the area to cope with the traffic. You, it took me months before I could get to the image. When I got there, there were flowers, there were wheelchairs, there were canes, money, stacks of money. There wasn't a priest, there wasn't an offering basket. People just came bringing gifts in their utter desperation. I was infuriated. And then suddenly it hit me. All we need is supernatural manifestations from God, and the world will fly in overnight. There won't be a place big enough. Police will have to put up, you know, mobile police stations just to cope with a flood of seekers who are desperate. Medical science can't help them. Uh, the uh, not that I'm against medical science, they've done a great job, but when you're desperate and there's no hope, there's a world of no hopes, and they're looking for a solution. When they hear people have been raised, healed, delivered, they're going to come. They're going to scrape together their savings. They're going to get on a plane, and they're going to fly wherever God is at. They're going to hear it. I saw it in my own ministry in Chicago. The glory cloud came in. Next day, no, the church was huge, thousands, couldn't get seats. The next day, there wasn't those days, there was no internet. Just people got on their phones, started phoning. There weren't even cell phones. My cell phone was about that big those days. 
brain waves just cooking. Yeah, and even to this day, this arm is bigger just from those months. It's like huge compared to this little skinny arm. And um, overnight, the crowd was there. Overnight, one woman, big open wound on her belly through diabetes. In the meeting, it closed after prayer. It closed there and then. Her testimony alone, she went, it's closed. There's no wound. Skin. I didn't see it. Ladies went and examined it. Healed. That word spread. Last week, you know Scott Martin? He worked for me for years in Malawi. Injury. There's an old ranger. He was in um, Black Hawk Down 25 years ago in Somali. He was in that battle because of his training and that neck injury. He lost use of this hand. This finger permanently twitched. Couldn't use this hand. Dead, no feeling like, you know, pins and needles permanently. This finger twitching. Couldn't travel, couldn't work, can't drive his car, can't do anything. On top of that, a few months ago, he was rear-ended, and that just took this injury even worse. Brain surgeons, uh, 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 not brain surgeons, the, um, the orthopedic surgeons said, listen, we can do some surgery, but there's a 50-50 chance. You will, you, you will either be paralyzed the rest of your life, or you could be better. <laughs> and Scott's like, uh, what do I do? 50-50. That's not great odds. How many of you know? So um, he comes into my meeting last week, the week before last. I was in um, Illinois. Came from Barbados, um, not Illinois, Connecticut, and then Hastings, and then here. I was in Connecticut. I laid hands on him. He's kneeling down. Pray for him. There was no catches, trained catches. I said, just kneel. Fire of God hits him. Instantly healed. Instantly healed. Done. Move. Normal life. Because of a miracle. God, there's not a day of miracles. There's a God of miracles. We just have to press and ask God and believe God. And, and, and. Watch the change that comes. He got on the Facebook, hundreds of people responding, praising God because of his miracle. I'll be back there on um, this Saturday. I'll be using Scott in my first meeting to testify, and then I'm going to start to pray for the sick, believing God for miracles to just pop that thing open. Your church was one of the first where I did the healing school. We, had, we went to a whole other dimension of healing. Remember all the breakthroughs? God's not stopped healing. We can have it again, but will, will we press? Let's stand. Let's pray. How many of you, when you were first saved, you used to seek God? You'd read the Bible. You would pray. You'd be at church. And you still love God, but that passion for seeking Him has dropped somewhat. Anyone here? And uh, tonight as I was sharing, you, you, yeah, I need to get back to that heart of seeking. Anyone else over there? Who else? 
That's because she took my seat. (laughs) If you had that same passion to seek God, you wouldn't be needing my seat. You'd be laid out. (laughs) Anyone else that I also humiliate you? He knows I love him. Anyone else? I know there's more. You've got to deal with this. This is critical because we, we yeah with purpose. There's got to come a shift. If you have been seeking God, and I know obviously there is a level of faith here because it's a Sunday night, uh, but you've backed away. It's time to press into a new dimension. You want to be like me. You've got to get to that bookstop, bookshop, 8.30 in the morning. I want a holy Bible. That kind of a desire. I used to be at church, even though I had long hair and they hated me. I, you know, I was like protected in my innocence. I'd just be there. What can I do? I, when church opened, I was there. Why? Because I was seeking God. I was seeking God. You had to be there to see what I'm talking about. Those people were miserable, man. But you know what? I wasn't, I wasn't offended in my innocence. I was so hungry for God. I, I didn't care if they didn't like me. I just, if they told me cut my hair, I would have cut it. If they said don't wear jeans, I wouldn't have worn jeans. You understand? I was desperate to, to find God. But they criticized and rejected because of the way I looked. But the truth is, I was so hungry for God. If they said do this, I would have done it. I sought God. I'm still seeking God. 45 years of ministry. I'm seeking God more for revival now, having been in revival for years of ministry. I'm seeking God for this nation. Anyone else, I need to press. Remember when I said two months on my face before God? Two months seeking God. You sought God. You had an encounter with God. Come up here and share that encounter with us. Come, you, you just be, where's your microphone? Pastor Bob had an encounter with God uh, a short while ago, just life-transforming stuff. We need to hear this because when you seek God, I know you, you want to get home, but stay with us a little while. Oh, that's love. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah, love. That's... Ellen took my mint. Uh, this was, I, I guess, about three months ago. Uh, I was up in my office at home. It was... Uh, Ellen had gone to bed, and I was uh, just worshiping the Lord and just spending time in His presence and uh, felt His presence. But uh, after a while, I heard footsteps coming up the steps. If you have an upstairs, you know when someone's coming upstairs. Mm-hmm. You hear it. So I heard the, the footsteps coming up, and then they reached the top and entered the room, and I opened my eyes. And no one was there. Mm. And I shut my eyes, and then on me was the power, the the presence of God saturated my being. Yeah. And I I feel it now talking. (laughs) I know. Hallelujah. But the love of God just overwhelmed me. And I, I wept before the Lord. He, I was the anointing on the inside of me. I was so stirred. And then on the outside, I was getting on the outside and the inside. And uh, since that time, that, that everything's changed. And um, 
and it was seeking the Lord. It was just in worship. Yeah. We it was were, worshiping the Lord. We were just walking so. yesterday. We went and had coffee because it was um, coffee international national, national day. We we're celebrating coffee. We went to get a coffee. And uh, we were just talking, and the anointing just hit Pastor Bob right there, walking through the shopping center. Bish! He could have been laid out there. He had to use everything just to stay focused, to, to just walk. And this morning he was standing just saying, good. And then the, the overwhelming presence of God. You see what I'm talking about? You say, well, that's weird footsteps. Hey, have you heard the word signs, wonders, miracles? I was in a meeting just like Pastor Bob years ago. And I just read T.L. Osborne's book on the impact of having seen Jesus. And I was young. I so desperately wanted to see Jesus. I said, God, if you, if you appeared to T.L. Osborne and his life was changed in an encounter, I want an encounter with you. I want to see you. And I was in a prayer meeting. And I, I do not exaggerate that the oxygen in the room became pure as pure could be. I could... The, the temperature, we didn't have air conditioning, just dropped. It went ice cold and I could breathe. And every breath was just pure oxygen that filled my body. And then suddenly I heard the rustle of garments behind me. Like you heard footsteps. And I heard him coming closer and closer. And I, I, I said, Lord, I know I pray to see you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. This is too holy. This is too powerful. I really didn't want to see him. And I just shut my eyes, and he came, and he put his hand on my head. And the glory of God went through me like it went through you, where I was translated into dimensions that I could not contain. And that, again elevated my ministry from just being a, a new convert to becoming a street evangelist and winning the surfing generation around me and, and reaching that encounter elevated means soul winning, but not only soul winning, people were being filled with the Spirit healed, and I was ignorant, I was untrained, I was untaught. But an encounter elevated me from being a novice to seasoned in the spirit, activating dimensions of glory, one encounter. And uh, that's what happened to you as well. It's like a, a new phase, a new season, a, psh, a download of glory. How many of you want that download for your life tonight? We, we want that for you as well. I want you to make a line. Yeah, we're going to pray for you and release the anointing in your life. For breakthrough, when this line is, when this corner to corner is filled, just hang back because we only have got room for one line. Start that side. Come on down now. If you want prayer, if you want uh, anointing, uh, refreshing, a release, a breakthrough, and uh, we want to lay hands on you and release that into your life, uh, an elevation in the supernatural. That's what I'm believing God for as a seeker. How many of you are seeking God? How do you seek Him? First, how do you seek Him? With all of your heart, with all of your soul. How do you seek Him? With faith. How do you seek Him? Passionately. Just one line, please, if you don't mind. Once that's full, 
Just hang back. I will pray for everyone, and Pastor Bob and I are going to lay hands. Uh, I'm believing God out of the overflow of his encounter and me having just stepped back into a realm of supernatural breakthrough just this last week. I, in Barbados, I'm telling you, God's glory just shook that place in revelation and power. Uh, Africa, revelation and power. Tonight, here in Olive Branch, I'm believing God for a download in your life. Hallelujah. Supernatural supernatural downloads into your soul, body, and spirit. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.